This podcast contains swearing and deep conversation about existential topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Wolfgang, and allow me to welcome you to the Openness Podcast. This show is about me taking a philosophical approach to life, the universe, and everything, in the hopes that I may better understand the world and my place in it. In this episode, I will be trying to answer the question, what is truth, and how can I know? I spoke a lot about truth and reality, and fact, in the first episode, but I never defined them. Truth is a very fickle subject. And there is much disagreement over it, especially in today's world, where lies bring you more power than truth. I seek real and potent knowledge. I must know what is true and what is false. And to do so, I must take a dive by accepting radical doubt to learn of my assumptions and see truth clearly. This is probably the hardest question I have ever asked myself, and I'm surprised that it was. I thought I knew what truth was, and it was pretty obvious. But as soon as I started digging, it turned out to be horrendously complex. It's like a puzzle that's been mixed with 45,000 other different puzzles, and you're trying to make a coherent picture out of it. But it's far too large to complete on your own, so you try and get friends to help you make sense of it. But they only see half of the pieces that you're trying to point out, and the ones that you do share are different colors. But there has to be, logically, a decent picture that comes out of it, so you insist on continuing onwards. Then you encounter some people who say they found all the answers, but all they did was take 60 pieces of it, form it into a cross, and call it done. Others who say the puzzle doesn't even matter, or doesn't exist, so stop trying to make a picture. I want to see this picture, so I will press on. True seeking, I have found, is a skill, one that requires critical thinking and persistence. I need to be humble in my approach, and recognize all of the biases that are inherent to me. I have an innate desire to know and understand the world for certain, but by our very nature we cannot have certainty. This means we tend towards ideas and people who say that they know for certain, even if whatever they say is wrong. This also stacks on our desire to belong with a group, which is important for survival, but this desire can often override our seeking of truth. We must be willing to be wrong on what we think is true, as the more you grip onto a belief, and believe it to be the ultimate truth, the more difficult it will be to let go of your beliefs and find real truth. So I commend you for following this path towards real truth, if it even exists. It is a bumpy ride with no guarantees. So allow me to begin with the inherent difficulties. Because we are simply humans, there are great difficulties that we must overcome in order to start finding out what truth is. The first is we are limited creatures, bound to a small body with flawed sentences and limited processing power, trying to grasp at a reality which is many orders of magnitude larger and more complex than we can even imagine. The second is certainty is not a given, meaning there are very few things that you can say that will satisfy the most radically skeptical person. Three, we are all trapped in our own unique subjective experiences, and we cannot directly share them. We must use language and other mediums to convey them. Words and language are a referential tool that point at things in reality and say stuff about it. 
Our language contains no truth whatsoever, but it can carry information about how we feel and experience things in reality. The final is that we have many biases, which are very difficult to overcome, even if you know that they're there, and they vastly distort what we think is true. Truth and fact are circularly defined and rely on the assumption that objective reality exists. I don't think I will be able to prove with 100% certainty that it does, and if we swallow the pill of doubt and accept nothing less than 100% certainty, you will quickly find that nothing makes sense and you can't really say anything about anyone, at any time, anywhere. But what is certainty that I keep talking about? Certainty is the idea that you have a proposition or a statement that is 100% true. It can never be false, and there's no way in which it could not be true. Can we find certainty? This short answer is not really. I'm not convinced that we can have certainty about much. There are some statements which are close to being certain, but they still leave me with many unanswered questions. There is the classic statement by Descartes, I think, therefore I exist which is probably the closest thing to certainty we can get with a statement. But it only proves the existing part, and only for the one thinking. You can't prove that other people exist, as you don't think for them. You can't say what existing is like, other than the thinking, meaning the outside world could easily be an illusion. The statement still leaves you in an isolated bubble of thought, with no interactions that can't be doubted other than the thinking and the existing. If we add certainty about everything, life would cease to be a mystery. If you want to say anything else about existence, you need to let go of perfect certainty. If truth is the goal, and certainty is not guaranteed, then we need a process to find what is true and what is not, as well as define what I mean when I say something is true. Radical doubt will leave you with a solipsist worldview, and honestly, I don't think anybody would live their lives in the black hole of total doubt. It's just impractical. So in order to continue, I've decided to accept some assumptions and leave total infallible certainty behind. There are four primary assumptions that I make to overcome some of the inherent difficulties, and if you don't accept them, there's not much I can do to help you find truth. The first is that I am real. This is hopefully obviously important. If you don't accept this, you would be diagnosed with some sort of mental disorder, Besides, this is one of the few things that I can be pretty certain about. 2. There is a reality that exists independently of me. I accept this because if I exist, there must be some substrate that I find myself in. I may never know the absolute, true nature of this substrate, but I am confident in its existence. This is an important assumption to make, because it means that there is something that is out there that you can test your statements against. The third is that I have senses that produce experiences of reality. These experiences are flawed and limited, but they do carry some true information about reality. This I accept because it is my common day-to-day -day experience. I wake up in the morning, and I am assailed by my perceptions of this reality around me. I know that my perceptions are almost always flawed, and there are many aspects of reality that are hidden to me. But they're kind of all I have. They do give me some truth about reality. For instance, I know how far away my cup is from my hand, and though I may not know its internal makeup or any other details about it, what it would look like in a different wavelength of light, I know what it looks like to me, and I can still use that information to pick it up and use it. 
The fourth assumption I make is that you are real, and that your experiences of reality are just as real to you as mine are to me. This is a really important assumption to accept if you want to create empathy for your fellow humans. This assumption allows you to see other people as subjects experiencing the world and making choices the same way you do. Though the experiences they have also pick up truth about reality from their point of view. By accepting this assumption, it allows us to access other people's points of view, which is really important in the search for truth. If you can accept these, I have found that they are a reliable way to get out of the pit of absolute doubt and move on with your life. It is important to remember that you must move forward without absolutes and 100% certainties, and that openness is very important. We have access to such a tiny sliver of reality at any given moment, and our senses only give us a small portion of that sliver. You don't know everything, and you'll never know. So to say you know anything as the absolute truth is to lie to yourself. So how do I determine truth? There are many theories of truth that exist, but most people follow only one or two just out of habit. The way that I like to determine truth is a mix of three of these kinds of methods. Each one has flaws and blind spots, and if you use only one method of truth-seeking, these flaws are kind of amplified. To overcome this, I like to use all three to find what is true. The first is consistency, which is to ask, does it make logical sense? The second is correspondence, which is to say, does what you say line up with reality? And the third is convergence, which is to say, do other people think it's true? These three combine into a method of truth-seeking I call thought triangulation, and it is what I use to construct my mental map of reality. Let's start with the first one, which is consistency. When I receive information, this is what I look for first. Are they pushing forward a flawed argument, and are they coming to conclusions that don't make sense in comparison to what they said before? Are they committing any logical sins? Do they contradict themselves? If so, you can disregard it. The purpose of this method is to give you a first line of defense against the bullshit information that exists out there. It's not perfect, as there are many arguments which are logical but not legit, but it does allow you to filter out a lot of noise so that you can better spend your time verifying stuff that has a chance of being true. An example would be, John played the best basketball game ever because he wore his lucky shirt. This is a flawed argument because it doesn't follow that the lucky shirt means he played well. He played with his best game because he spent many hours practicing so that he may do better. The lucky shirt may have given him a minor confidence boost, but is not the sole reason he played well. Another example would be, Americans have more heart disease, debt, and incarceration than any other group in the world. Therefore, being an English speaker causes you to be an unhealthy criminal. This argument is significantly flawed. Though the initial statement is true, the conclusion that is being drawn from it doesn't make sense. The causes of heart disease, debt, and incarceration are far more varied and nuanced. And although being an English-speaking American means you're more likely to express these things, it doesn't mean it causes them. If the conclusion was true, then Canada, the UK, would also express these problems, when in reality, they don't. The main advantage to this method of truth is that you can cut out a lot of noise and remove a lot of bullshit out of your mind before you invest your time in verifying it. 
The main drawback is that there's a lot of stuff that can be logically consistent, but end up being completely false, being predicated on bad data or grand assumptions. It also relies on you being good at logic and doing it in real time, and most people are not practiced in the ways of the Vulcan. I am no master logician, so if you're interested in using this technique, I would suggest investing your time in learning it from people online or taking a course in it. I'll leave a link in the show notes to a good intro course you can watch for free. The second method is correspondence. This is simply to ask the question, does it line up with reality? Meaning, can you find out whatever they're saying is true by experiencing it directly or by conducting a scientific study? This is basically how science works, and has proven itself one of the most potent forms of truth-seeking. There are six steps to the scientific method, and they go a little something like this. First, ask a question about something you observe or hear about in reality. The second is do research, learn what is already known about the topic, being careful to find any unbiased and repeated research. The third is to construct a hypothesis. The fourth is construct an experiment to test that hypothesis. The fifth is to analyze the data from the experience and draw logical conclusions, being very careful to identify any biases you may have brought with you. And finally, the most important, is to share your hypothesis, your data, and your conclusions with others so that they may test it and verify your results to ensure you are presenting the actual truth. For an example, let's do a fun and easy one. Start with my observation. I want to know what the shape of the Earth is. My research included about 20 minutes of Googling, where I learned from NASA, PBS, and Wikipedia, and a few other sources that the Earth is roughly a sphere, but it's bumpy and it's squished at the poles, with about a 70,000 feet of material more at the equator than at the poles. I also learned that there are several experiments that you can do to make sure of this. My hypothesis is I think that the Earth is roughly a sphere, give or take a massive mountain here and a big old trench there. As for experiments, there's three that you can do relatively easily. The first is watch a lunar eclipse. If you observe the shadow of the Earth on the moon as we pass between the sun, you will see that it is a circular shape that appears in the shadow. Now that you know the Earth is at least circular, we can find out its circumference with shadows and math. If you know the angle of a shadow cast from a stick in two places at the same time and the distance between them, you can calculate out an estimate of how big the sphere of the Earth is. The third and final proof is that you can just go in an airplane or a spaceship and look out the window and see the curvature of the Earth. Now my conclusion. By seeing the circular shape of the Earth's shadow during a lunar eclipse, the rough measurement of about 40,000 kilometers, and the fact that this would only work if the Earth's surface was curved points me in the direction of believing that the Earth is a sphere. Finally, I did take a plane trip fairly recently and remember seeing the curvature of the Earth. Therefore, the Earth is a sphere roughly 40,000 kilometers in diameter. Now for the final step, I leave the rest to you. Can you confirm my results and agree with my conclusions? Or will you find separate and different evidence? If we agree on the conclusions, then we have arrived at some truth about reality. The main advantage of this is that if you can do it well, it's a very reliable method to find out what is real, and we built the modern world because of it. The main drawback is you must have the time, money, and will to do the tests and gather the data, and you need to be smart enough to interpret the data to come to rational conclusions.
There are some questions that cannot be answered, as to test them would take too long, or the evidence has degraded for some reason. So you can't rely on this method solely, but it is very useful when it comes to determining what is real. The third method of truth is convergence. This is simply to ask how many people think it is true. The idea is that if you have enough people who actually care about finding what is true, and they don't have incentives to lie about it, then they will all begin to converge on what is the actual truth. The people whose opinions you believe must be specifically those who are open-minded and actively trying to direct themselves towards truth. There's a great deal of people out there who have incentives to lie about the truth, and many more who accept dogmas so they can avoid dealing with how uncertain life is. So you must be careful of whose opinions you take into account. Generally, scientists and academics can be trusted, but not individually. If 90% of scientists agree on something, it's probably the truth. This is how I think about Wikipedia. It is edited by an army of nerds who are trying to get the most concise, truthful, and understandable version of how reality is. Of course, there may be wrong or incoherent data, but generally the platform will give you the best answer to whatever question you have. Let's do a couple examples, because they're fun and easy. What is the speed of light? 299,792,458 meters a second. What is the age of the universe? 13.787 billion years, give or take 20 million years. Did humans actually go to the moon? Yeah, there were six missions from 1969 to 1972. Easy, right? But this is where trust is super important, because if you don't trust the sources, you need to do further research and maybe conduct some experiments of some kind. The purpose of this method is to save time. I don't have the time or energy to test everything all over again and redo all of science from the ground up. Because of this, and the fact that I still want the power that scientific knowledge gives me, I have chosen to trust Wikipedia and the scientific community. The main advantage to this method is that it's easy. You don't need to do thinking or testing, all you have to do is see where the consensus lies and place your bets there. The main drawback is that there's a lot of people who agree on some really wacky shit, so you can't rely solely on this method. Another drawback is that if you're trying to figure out if something controversial is true, you're going to have a real bad time, as half of the people will be certain of their position, the other half will be certain of their position, and it's just a shit show from there. One important thing to remember with convergence is that you must not become lazy. Because this is a very easy way to arrive at truth, you need to not use only convergence. As there are still significant drawbacks baked into the way that humans arrive at convergent truths. To me, thought triangulation is the key. It is how I determine what is true and what is false. It is a mix of the 3C method of consistency, correspondence, and convergence. Together, they allow you to listen, combine, test, and verify most truth statements. This allows you to arrive at a better understanding of this wacky and strange world that we find ourselves in. They are a powerful framework that makes finding truth a difficult task rather than an impossible one. These methods will only produce one type of truth, which is good if your focus is on reality and its contents, 
But there are many types of truth that we kind of just make up. And though they only exist in our minds, they can have significant power over us as individuals and societies at large. There are four types of truth that I have found. Objective, subjective, social, and ethereal. Each one of these could be a whole episode on their own, so I'll just do a quick overview and save a full-length discussion for later. Objective truth is the way that reality is independently of us. It is the way that matter and energy behave constrained only by the natural laws that govern them. Objective truth is what I have been focusing on thus far, and it is important to realize that the T is lowercase to indicate non-absolutism. It is the closest method that I have gotten to knowing an objectivist truth, but we are flawed. And because of that, we must contain our hubris to say we know things with absolute certainty. Objective truth is the domain of science and those who seek real answers about reality, but it is not the only truth that matters. Subjective truth is the way in which we feel about reality. It is the sum total of our conscious experience, and it is our window into reality. It is the way that we experience life, and two people can have completely different experiences of events in reality. I could drink some of my coffee and think it tastes great. You could come along and drink it and say the same coffee in the same cup tastes awful. Both experiences are true about the same thing in reality. This is what makes truth-seeking so difficult, because we can have such drastically different experiences of the same thing in reality. These experiences collected over a lifetime begin to form our perspective of the world. We use them to create a map of what we think reality is like. Our perspective is all we have, really. And to know any kind of objective truth, you must use your perspective to infer as to what you think reality is. We each have access to such a small portion of reality in the form of these filtered subjective truths. So you need to use them wisely, and I suggest using thought triangulation. Social truth is when humans form myth statements that a group of people all agree to be true. And then it becomes true whether or not it actually exists in reality. The easiest example is money. All money is is fancy paper or bits on a computer that we all agree has more value than the object itself. If we wanted to, we could all agree that money is worthless, and it would become so. But money is an extremely useful tool to exchange value, goods, and services, so we accept this myth. Although this truth is the least real, meaning it only ever exists in our minds, I find it to be the most powerful, as it can override any other truth that is present to the group. It gets vast groups of people to behave in strange and different ways. Sometimes these truths are used for good, like the idea of laws to modulate our worst desires. But they can be used for horrific effects, like the belief of all Jews are evil and coming to destroy you, so you must destroy them first! Shared truths are the ones that I am most skeptical of nowadays, as the ones in the past have clearly led us down a terrible path, with global warming, mass genocide, all that fun stuff. In essence, social truth are our myths. We must be wary of these, and make sure that our stories will create good and just outcomes. We must learn from our mistakes, 
Make better myths while discarding evil and unjust ones. The final type is ethereal truth. This type is the answer to all of the questions that can't be answered by any of our methods. Humans are limited, having barely made it out of the jungle thus far, and because of this, there are many questions that are just simply out of our reach. What is God's true nature, if they exist at all? What is inside of Black Hole? What happened before the Big Bang? Is there an afterlife? These are all questions that can't be sufficiently answered under scientific or convergent methods of truth, but there must be some answer to them. These truths may be out there, and may yet uncover the answers, but until we have proof or consensus, any answer we come up with is just wild speculation. On these kinds of topics, I stay agnostic, meaning I really have no clue. I won't insult you by pretending I do. There's one more type of truth that I struggle to describe, but I'll try anyway. This is the complex truth. These types, categories, and methods are only a way for me to grasp at what I am seeking, which is things as they are. Reality as it is contains all types of truth, all mixed together, and we are not capable of seeing it all at once, or as it really is. Truth is complex. This presentation was in no way the end-all be-all of truth, and I'm sure that in five years my conception of truth will most likely shift. This, like all of my work, is still subject to being open, adaptable, and capable of becoming all that it needs to be. So let me leave you with some advice. If truth-seeking is your goal, I commend you. Your path is rough and full of terrors. Question everything. Be curious and kind. Build your knowledge day by day and celebrate when you are wrong. Learn all that you can that is true so that you can live your life outside the grips of myths passed on to us. Most importantly, don't take truth so seriously. We were never born to have access to absolute truth, but the process of finding it should be a fun adventure. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. If you believe that this podcast has value and you learned something from it, you can support me by telling a friend or your enemy about this framework and mindset that I'm trying to create. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at opennesspodcast at gmail.com. In the next episode, I'll be talking about human endeavor and morality through an interesting lens. I'm sure those topics will be easier to grasp. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.